It's always a, a real privilege to get to be with, with you all. Um, that's how we say you guys in Texas. I used to say you guys because I grew up in Seattle and I was talking to a group of young women on the steps of Birchman Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas back in 1975 and I said, are you guys going out for pizza? And they giggled and they said, we're not guys. <laughs> so uh, it's always a privilege to be here when Beth married Joshua. I didn't know that he would move her all the way up here <laughs> and deprive us of our grandchildren. <laughs> but I can honestly say I'm glad that they're here, that the Lord has done a great thing in bringing them up here. And every time Sela and I come, we're always, we, we always feel like we're coming to a home away from home. So it's a real privilege to be here. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for our Savior, for the Lord Jesus Christ, and for what you've done for every one of us who are in him, every one of us who've believed. And we pray that you do that for everyone else who's here, even today. Lord, expand your family. Increase your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for... Um, the great prayer that the Lord Jesus prayed for his people uh, just before he went to the cross. And our confidence is that you've heard that prayer, you have answered it, and you are answering it even now. Build your church, Lord. Increase your glory. Do it today. We pray that you'd give us hearts and minds that will hear everything that you want for us to hear that your spirit would have freedom to work among us. It's in the name of our Savior that we pray. Amen. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. Uh, this is uh, the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus. Uh, if Jesus is a priest, that means he's a, a mediator between God and man. Uh, and he's, he does a reconciling work between God and his people. And, um, and this prayer that he prays is his request to the Father on behalf of his people. And um, as we look at the things that Jesus prays for and asks of the Father, we need to keep two things in mind. First of all, the things he prays for are, are all of a spiritual nature. Um, and in, in these things that he, he's praying for, He's mapping out what the church of the Lord Jesus is supposed to look like. And so we could call these the marks of the church. This is what the church looks like. The second thing that I want you to think about as we look at some of these verses in this prayer is that um, the Father always answers prayers that are offered up in accordance with His will. And there's no one who knows the mind of the Father like the Son. And so every one of these requests that he makes, the Father most certainly will agree to and answer. And if you ever want to know how you can pray in such a way that God will answer your prayer, look at this. You may ask for that new three-quarter ton Dodge Ram, and he may tell you no. 
but you can ask for these things. And he always says yes. So notice the first thing that Jesus asked for. I won't read this, but in verse 11, the father, he asked that the father would uh, keep them in my name. Um, and so he's asking that those who are his would persevere in the faith. So this is one of the marks of the, of the church of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Christians persevere. They, they eventually make it home. And, uh, and when you pray prayers for your brothers and sisters along these lines, that they would uh, be firm in the faith, you can be sure that that's a prayer that God loves to hear from his people. And then um, along with that, number two, uh, he asks that we would have his joy fulfilled in us. In, in us. Uh, he wants us to be joy, joy-filled people. He wants us to take joy in, in the things of God. Uh, this is a prayer that God is more than happy to answer when his people pray. And then the third mark of the church is that the Father would sanctify us. That is that he would cause each one of us to grow in holiness. And so when you're praying for your brothers and sisters, that's a prayer the Lord loves to answer, that, that he would make them holy. And then number four, the Lord Jesus asks that just as the Father sent him out into the world, so the Father would, would send us out into the world also with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And then fifth, um, Jesus asks that the Father would make, make them one just as you and I are one. So he's praying for the unity of brothers and sisters in the faith. You know, we're all different. There's such diversity in the body of Christ. But in, in terms of purpose, there's to be a unity in the body of Christ. And then finally, that, that we may come to, to see all of this work out in the body of Christ. I want you to notice one last thing that he prays for. Look at verse 23. This is John chapter 17, verse 23. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even uh, loved them even as you loved me um this is one of the most amazing truths in all of the bible jesus says that that our our unity in the faith is aimed at showing the lost world that the father has loved us with the very same love with which he loved his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you think of anything more amazing than that? Jesus is worthy, but we're not. And, and yet, according to Jesus, the Father has loved us with the same love with which he's loved his own son. I think you can see how this would, uh, if we would understand this, it would make unity in the body of Christ possible. Jesus loves, loves that guy. I have a hard time loving him, but Jesus does. If Jesus loves that guy, I can too. And, uh, and surely when we start thinking about this love, this is the antidote to a loveless, uninvolved, in, uh, institutional style of Christianity. If he so loved us as we are in the flesh, 
then there's no good reason why we can't get to know our brother in Christ and learn how to love him. Get to know that sister and learn, uh, learn how we can not only get along, but love one another. And Jesus makes it clear that uh, this is the only way that our non-Christian friends will ever take us seriously if they see this kind of love in the midst of a people who don't naturally get along. Look at this again in verse 23. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me in order that the world might know this. So this morning, I want us to look at this this thing that the Lord Jesus prayed for us, this thing that he died to bring about. And this is our text, verses 24 through 26. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So there's so much here in this prayer. Let me just point out four things. Um, I think it's fitting that the, the Lord Jesus ends this magnificent prayer with this request that we love because love is the greatest thing in the world. And so the first point I want to make here is, uh, is, is that love is the preeminent gift that God gives. Um, maybe you remember this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So keep your finger here in John 17 and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. And um, in chapter 12, Paul is talking about all the great gifts that we have in the body of Christ. And uh, this is 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? The answer is no. That's a gift that some were given. Are all prophets? Again, no. Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess? Uh, so, so Paul is talking about all these great gifts that he gives to his church. And then he's going to say that some are more important and that you ought to actually pursue these things. Look at verse 30. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And from from the gifts that God has given to the church, he moves on to the love that we're supposed to exercise toward each other. That's the more excellent way. In chapter 14, Paul talks about the gifts of prophecy and unknown tongues and how controversial they are. They've always been controversial. And uh, he makes this point. This is chapter 14, 
verse 9. So with yourselves, if, uh, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? He said tongues were, were, uh, were operative in that day. We can all agree with that. And he said, but still people hear the unknown tongue and they don't know what it is. Because why? Because it's an unknown tongue. Um, but back in chapter 12, um, look at verse 19. This is still chapter 14. He says, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others with 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul is saying that the, the gifts that communicate God's word are more helpful, helpful than the one that obscures God's word, Right? Uh, but back at the end of chapter 12 and then in all of chapter 13, Paul is showing us God's priority regarding the spiritual gifts. I want you to see what he considers the best gifts. Uh, chapter 12, verse 30. Th verse 31. Um, well, let me just stop here. Let's just go on to verse chapter 13, verse 13. He says, um, so now faith, hope, and love, these abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. That's a long way of saying that love is the greatest gift that God's ever given to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so important that we understand this. It's important to the future of the whole mission of Christ in the earth. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So you can see how important this is. So Jesus says here in this prayer back in John chapter 17, that he's already made God's name known and he continues to make it known for this reason, quote, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. See, uh, the love of God is, is the greatest thing that he's given us. I like the way James Boyce illustrated this. He said that we can see the preeminence of love by looking at the way it impacts every other gift. Love seasons every other thing God gives us. Take love away from joy and you have hedonism, the unbridled pursuit of pleasure, exuberance in life and its pleasures, but without the sanctifying joy found in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Subtract love from holiness, and what do you get? You get self-righteousness, the kind of virtue that characterized the Pharisees of Christ's day. By the standards of the day, the Pharisees lived very holy lives, but they didn't love others and were ready to kill Jesus when he challenged their standards and actually did kill him. Take love from truth, and you have bitter orthodoxy. Take love from mission, and you have imperialism. Take love from unity, and you soon have tyranny. I think you can see how this works. 
Love seasons everything. Love makes everything in God's economy appropriate. Um, Boyce goes on. On the other hand, express love in relationship to God and man. And what do you find? You find all the other marks of the church following. What does love to God the Father lead to? It leads to joy because we rejoice in what he has overwhelmingly done for us. What does love for the Lord Jesus lead to? Holiness, because we know that we will see him one day and we will be like him. Therefore, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And, and this, uh, this love also leads to mission. You love your neighbor so much that you want him to hear the good news. You don't want him to, to, to go as he is under condemnation into eternity. Um, you can see how this leads to unity in the body. So I think you can see the point here and you can see why the Lord Jesus asked the Father that the love with, with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Paul makes the point in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in that love chapter that even if you have the gift of tongues, even if you have great prophetic powers, and you don't have love, you are nothing. You accomplish nothing of any real eternal value. You can have uh, the wisdom of Solomon and the discernment of Daniel, but if you don't have love, he says, you're nothing. You can have great faith so that I can remove mountains, but if I do not have love, I'm, I'm nothing. And over the years, we've known people like this, people who had great gifts for ministry, but were not known as people who loved. You can give great sums of money and still not be a loving person. You can sacrifice your whole life without love. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So love is the preeminent gift. It's the best thing we've got going. And God has given it in great measure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to make much of it, more than we do, naturally, as, as churches. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So that's the preeminence of love. And then the second thing I want you to see in our text is the origin of love. Back in chapter 17, look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Look at that last phrase there. He says, you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's the origin of love. It has always been. It has been this, this relationship within the Trinity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Love has always been there. That's the origin of love. And uh, it's, it's not the kind of love that the world gives. Look at verse 25. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you sent me. He says the world doesn't know anything about this kind of love. Uh, they, they don't know God, so how can they know anything about this kind of love? Um. Then verse 26, I made known to them, 
that is to his people, to his church, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So that's, that's the source of it. John talks about this same kind of love. Uh, keep your finger here and again turn this time to 1 John chapter 4. And look at what John says, beginning in verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That You want to know how you're a believer? Do you love? Is, is this a strong impulse in your heart toward others? Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if you've been born of God, then, um, then according to John, one of the marks of your life, one of the marks that you've been born into this world is love. So do you love other people? Say, well, I love my wife and I love my kids, love my mama. That doesn't count. Everybody, everybody loves mama. You love mama, you're loving flesh and blood. You're loving yourself. What do you do more than others, Jesus would ask? You love your own. Who doesn't do that? So it's a good thing to love your family. Husbands ought to love their wives. Wives ought to love their husbands. But do you love others? Jesus really offers uh, the, the supreme test of this when he says, love your enemy. <laughs> wow. You want to know if you have love? You want to know if you have God's supernatural love in your heart? Do you love your enemy? The world doesn't know anything about this because they don't know God. His love is different from ours. God's love does something to us. God's love changes us. God's love is, uh, is efficacious. That's a, a big word. It just means that, uh, that uh, when you set your heart on someone to love someone, your love changes who they are. God's love, is effica- God's love toward his people changes them. You can see this in relationships. Uh, Paul, we talked about this uh, with, with some of the leadership of the church this week. Um, Paul tells husbands they're supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, husband's love toward his wife, a wife's love toward her husband is supposed to, supposed to change them. It's supposed to make us better. You can especially see this in, in the, the parent-child relationship. Uh, your love for your children, you love your children just as they are. But if you really love your children, you will not let them stay just as they are. <laughs> you will have an efficacious love and it will be painful to them sometimes. But that's what love is. His love for us is efficacious. Now, before Jesus came, God had been showing this same kind of love. Think about the Old Testament prophet Hosea. God commends him to marry Gomer. And she was a woman of questionable character. She was, in fact, a prostitute. And their life together was supposed to be a picture of God's efficacious love. 
She, Hosea was not supposed to set his love on her because she was already lovely and lovable, but he was supposed to set his love on a woman who didn't deserve his love. His love was supposed to change her because that's what God's love does for us. It changes us. Think about the Lord Jesus. He comes teaching about God's love, um, the love of God who loves his enemies, and he teaches his followers if they would be like him, then they have to love their enemies. Then he goes to the cross and demonstrates that by dying for his enemies, for the very ones who crucified him, for those who, who laid the whip on his back, for those who beat him with their fists. He died for, for those to change them, in order to change them. And then as he's dying, remember what he says from the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. So I want you to think about these three things about the love of God. Number one, God's love is impartial. He loves all kinds of people. He, uh, he loves us with the same love with which he loved his own son. Wow. Now, we don't all experience the love of God in the same way, and you can see that. Back, Turn back to uh, John chapter 17, and then flip back just a couple pages to John chapter 14. And this is an important verse, verse 21. Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So to the extent that you're being obedient to the Lord Jesus, to that same extent, you'll begin to feel the love of Jesus. But he loves all of his people with an impartial love, with the same love with which he set his heart, or with which he loved the Son. So is our love impartial? Uh, This is very instructive, Uh, God loves all kinds of sinners. Do you? <laughs> or do you have certain favorite sinners that you love? Sinners who sin the same way that you do. <laughs> Second, God's love is tangible. God doesn't just tell us that he loves us. He actually demonstrates his love. Uh, some people talk about how much they love, but talk is cheap. Love, God's love is tangible. It shows up. It shows up in other people's lives. Uh, the love of God doesn't love from afar. It doesn't just love on Sunday morning as you, as you brush past each other. It only loves as you demonstrate that in, in life together with each other. God's love is tangible. Number three, God's love, as we've said, is efficacious. It, it, God's love has a goal in mind. This kind of love loves with the prayer that one day the person loved will actually be lovable. So uh, that's costly and it's painful. But God's love for his children is efficacious. And that's the love that, that Jesus prayed for us to know about in this high priestly prayer. He prayed not just for the disciples of his day, but he prayed for you in that prayer so many years ago when he prayed this. If you're a believer, he prayed that for you. This is back in, in, uh, in chapter 17, and look at verse 20 with me. 
He says, I do not ask for these only, thinking about his own disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. We've believed in Jesus through their word. And so Jesus has prayed this prayer for us as well. So God has heard that prayer, and he's most certainly in the process of answering that prayer. He began to answer that prayer when you came to faith, when you became a Christian. He began to make you holy and more holy, more loving. He began to knit you together into the body. Jesus prayed a prayer that set our destiny. This is a prayer that predestined us to be more like Jesus. And this is part of the reason I think that our lives are more difficult than we'd like for them to be because the Father is, the Father's love is changing us. It's making us what we're supposed to be, and that's never an easy thing. But His love is efficacious. Sometimes you might want to pray, Lord, would you stop loving me so much? <laughs> so we've seen the preeminence of love and the origin of love, and now I want you to notice the revelation of this love. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He says, I'm going to continue to make it known. So up until now, the love of God has been manifested. We've talked about Hosea and how God loved his people, loved Israel in spite of who they were. But no one had gone to the cross for sinners not like this. So this is what Jesus is about to do. He's about to show the ultimate uh, expression of love that anyone has ever seen in the cross. We see this in uh, Romans chapter 5. Um, familiar passage beginning in verse 8. For while we were still sinners... While we were still weak at the right time... Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is why I say this is the greatest thing in the world. Totally, totally undeserved. The best thing that's ever happened to you if you're a Christian, the best thing that ever will happen to you in this life, to know the love of Christ, and you didn't deserve it. And he didn't just promise it, he demonstrated it, he sealed it in blood. So do you ever wonder if anyone really loves you? Here it is. Here's solid proof that someone loves you. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are all kinds of things that happen to us in the course of a day, sometimes, that cause us to wonder if God loves us. Maybe God is not upholding your cause in your family or on the job like you think he should. You've had a bad week at work. 
undeserved things were said about you, unrighteous things, and you come home and your wife doesn't even have food on the table. And you sit down to play a game and you you can't win even if you cheat. And you're tempted during those times. God, do you really love me? <laughs> but God's love is not demonstrated by how, how often you win in the game of life. And when we try to find his love in those things, we're looking in the wrong place. He demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he took care of our biggest problem with his own blood. That's how much he loves you if you're his. And this love that God has for his people is not a sterile, impersonal kind of love. It's warm and it's intimate. It's the same kind of love that you have for your, your wife or your child. And if that's the case in human love, then how much more does he love his children? How much more does the Lord Jesus love his bride? He loves his children even more than we do, and, and he wants what's best for us. And, and here's something I don't think that many of us think about. He wants us to be with him. You want your children to be with you. You want your, your loved ones to, to gather around you. He wants us to be with him. Look at verse 24 back in our text. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He says, this is my request, that these that you've given me be with me. I want them to be with me. I want them to see my glory. I want them to share your love with me. This is, this is part of the future revelation of God in Christ. When we see Him face to face in glory, this will be the ultimate revelation of His love when we're finally safe at home. We're finally enjoying everything that we want to enjoy. And uh, incidentally, this is how the Christian view of heaven di differs from the Muslim view. Uh, in the Christian view, it's not enough that we be where Jesus is. In the Christian view, we want to be where Jesus is with Jesus. That's heaven to the Christian, to be with Jesus. That's not the point in Islam. In Islam, heaven is a place where all of your human earthly passions are fulfilled. In Muslim heaven, you can eat all the ice cream that you want and never gain weight. In Muslim heaven, you can eat and drink and be merry all day, every day, without any expense or without any consequence. The Muslim view is that heaven is all of earth's pleasures multiplied without any of earth's pain. In, in the Muslim view, Allah is not the point. In the Muslim view, ice cream and women, that's the point. 
It's earthly pleasure. But the Christian view of heaven is so much different. For the Christian, heaven is being with God and enjoying Him. It's being with our Lord Jesus and enjoying Him forever. Uh, In in the Christian view, uh, our desires will be changed. The things that we should enjoy, we will finally enjoy. The thing that we were made for, we'll finally find pleasure in. We're made for God, and in heaven, that's ultimately where we will find our joy. God Himself. So heaven will be seeing the Lord Jesus face to face and having Him come up to us and and wipe the tear away from our eye. Heaven is being with the Lord in glory forever. That's what our joy is. And incidentally, you can come to to know a little bit of that, a little taste of that in the here and now. That is uh, ultimately for later, but but when you came to faith in Christ and um, you recognized for the first time that you were a sinner and that you had had no control over your destiny and all you could do is is, uh, call out uh, on the Lord Jesus Christ and that's what you did. You asked Him to forgive you and to accept you. And at that point, he, he did that and he lifted your burden and you felt uh, a feeling of relief and, and cleanliness and, and freedom that you've never felt before. That's a little bit of heaven that's come down to earth. And since then, if you're a believer, you've known those times of, of uh, when you're alone with the Lord, you're unburdening your soul, you're reading his word, you're fellowshipping with him, you get a little sense of what it's like to to, to know what it's like to be God, with God in heaven. We ought to be striving for those times, but, but those times are, are, are not, not as prominent here as they will be when we're with Him. But they're good for us because they sharpen our appetite for fellowship with Him, both in the here and, and now and in our longing to be with Him ultimately in glory. But here's the point. The thing that makes heaven heaven is that our best friend will be there. The Lord Jesus will be there. That's what he's saying here in this prayer. He says that's his desire to have you. If you're his, that's his desire that you'll be with him in heaven. He's looking forward to that day. Maybe you were invited to a party. Ah, no. Then you find out that the host really wants you to be there. Does that change your, your view of the party? Oh, okay. You're going to have the, you're going to have the, the honored place. He says, I want you to be there. His desire. I desire that they also may be with me where I am. That's, that's a strong affection for his people on his part. And this is so encouraging because if you're in Christ, if you're His, if you belong to the Lord Jesus, just to know that He desires your presence, that's, that's love. That's encouraging. Now, what will we do in heaven? Well, um, there'll be so many friends and family who've gone on ahead of us. That part of the time will be reunion. Right? Be a sweet reunion. See parents who've gone on or grandparents or maybe a child who preceded you. Be a sweet time of, of reunion. 
You'll also be, uh, be able to talk to biblical characters. Think about your favorite biblical character. Um, you'll be able to talk to great Christians uh, in church history. I'd like to talk to Charles Wesley. I'd like to ask him if secretly he really agreed with George Whitfield more than he did with his own brother. Because how can you write, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? How can you write this? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. How can you write that and agree more with your older brother than you you do with Whitfield? That's going to be great. But according to our text, the best thing about heaven, far and away, will be what we read about in verse 24. I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. That's it. To be with Jesus in heaven, to see his glory to rejoice with him in all that the Father has given him as he brings him his bride that day, that'll be the best thing. We'll see the Lord Jesus. So many things down here to see and enjoy. Um, like I said, I really do love to come to Idaho. This is such a beautiful place. We were out on the lake yesterday. We love Tubbs Hill. We love the surrounding area. Um, in Fort Worth, Texas, it's 110 degrees right now. And I think the high just a couple days ago was 89. Man, I'd like to live here. But as good as it is here, heaven will be better. Seeing Jesus will be better. So the last thing I want to point out is this love that he's been talking about, this love that Jesus prayed that we might know about. We're not just to be recipients of this love. We're supposed to share it with other people. That's one of the points of this whole prayer. Uh, we're supposed to be channels of this love. God's people should be known for their love. More than anything else, we should be known for our love. So this is the last verse, verse 26. Jesus says to the Father, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. He wants that love in you. He wants you to share that with others. So, three practical thoughts here. How do we do this? How do we love other people with the love of Christ? Let's not talk about giving our bodies to be burned. Let's just talk about practical things. How about learn to be a good listener? Because that seems to be a hard thing for a lot of people. Learn how to listen to other people. Can't really, can't really say that you love them if you just don't want to even hear what's on their heart. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Think about that. When you're talking to a brother or sister in Christ, do they ever get the impression that you think that they are more significant than you are? Ask questions. Ask them questions. Verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do people come to you with their hurts? When, when, when they, their heart is broken, do they, do they think about you as someone that they could come to? They feel like, like you can be trusted with, uh, with a deep wound. Do people come to you for counsel? You, you may not consider yourself a great counselor, but if they know that you love them, they'll come to you for counsel. So learn to be a good listener. Be interested in other people. Number two, learn the generosity of the Lord Jesus. Jesus was generous with his time, generous with his grace, generous with his forgiveness. Um, Paul says something very interesting over here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. He says, For... We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor as a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Nothing more generous than a nursing mother. Are you generous? Do you give of yourself? Are you willing to be inconvenienced for someone else? People know this. Uh, th- there are people in this body who will have problems in the next few weeks or months or years, and they will know who they can go to, and they will know who they can't go to. Try to be one of those that they would go to. Learn to be generous. Number three, learn to be a servant. Uh, it was just before um, Jesus prayed this high priestly prayer back in John 17. He sits down with his disciples. This is chapter 13. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I think one translation says he's now about to show them the full extent of his love. And what did he do? He washed their feet. He washed their feet. He was was their master, and yet he lowered himself. He stooped and, and took a basin of water and a towel and one by one washed their their dirty feet. Be a servant. You want to want to begin to experience this kind of love that Jesus prayed for, set your heart on serving other people. This is how we show love. Say, I'm too shy. I could never touch someone's feet. It's not that I'm repulsed. It's just that it's someone else's feet. I'm shy. We're all shy. Some of us are more shy than others. I get that. I love people. Just I'm too shy to be with them. 
Well, um, we can grow in that. Every one of us can grow in that. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. If He can give His life, then we can, we can overcome some of our quirks. Well, let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You so much. Thank You for what You've done for us. Thank you for that prayer that you prayed for your people. And we, we, we know that it has come to pass and it is coming to pass. Um, <clears throat> we might be ashamed that it, it's, not, it's not been as evident in each one of our hearts. But here we are, Lord. You've confronted us with it uh, this morning. And I pray that that would, that would be something that you would use. This sermon would be something you'd use to change us, each one of us. given us the best example of love that anybody has ever known while we were still sinners. Our Lord Jesus poured out His blood for us. Forgive us when we turn away from the brother who is not as fun to be with, not as pleasant to be with us. Forgive us and change us. And thank you for our Savior. He is what we glory in. We can't ever come to you and and boast about our, our own accomplishments or our own achievements. We can boast in the fact that he died for us. And we stand before you today in his righteousness. We ask you to make us look more like him for his glory, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.